And so Peter writes this letter to these people. He calls them exiles so that they understand that this, this hardship, this challenge, these fiery trials um, are in some sense from the Lord. They are, they are under his sovereign control. And God brings these eras, these times about for his purposes and his reasons. And yet um, uh, Christians are summoned to live faithfully to Christ in the midst of these hard times. Um, one of the things that I'm really jealous for is that if the nation, our nation particularly, keeps going the way it seems like it's going and persecution will begin to rise more and more, um, my, my desire is that we have the word of God under our feet to be able to respond and react to those times well. Um, the best time to be able to um, think about how you're going to respond in times of difficulty or hardship or pain or persecution is before you go through it. That, that's ideal. And so that's why we're doing it. We're doing it because I do anticipate that. I do anticipate the reality that our world will get darker. The world that we've known as a fairly comfortable place, um, a world where we've, we've got options to what we're going to do on the weekend. Um, I do have a sense that over time, I don't know what kind of time, that could be changing. And so I want you guys to understand that this, this, is, this is why we're going through First Peter, is to give you some bolstering under your feet now, at least theologically, so that when these times come, um, you'll be ready. We'll be ready. So that's my hope. And that's God's gracious blessing in giving us First Peter and so many of the other New Testament letters, the book of Revelation included in that. So... All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to continue to focus on the wives. Peter spends six verses on the wives in particular. And um, let's look at chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll read 1 through 6. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being in any fear. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for my dear sisters in this room who want to live in a manner pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that for all the ladies in here, that you would encourage them and renew their minds as to the premium you put on submission. A submission done in faith, a submission done willfully, um, a submission done with your blessing. Lord, that they would see this not as just something that you're coming in to make their, that you're telling them they ought to do to make their life hard, uh, but something that is wise, something that is fitting to the way you've designed marriage, something that really is a beautiful thing when done well. And so, Lord, I pray that they would recognize that. I pray that they would, they would take it by faith. And Lord, for wives living with husbands that are disobedient to the word, for wives that are living with husbands that are negligent, I pray that you would give them strong encouragement through these words to continue on enduring that condition. And I pray, Father, that these men would be reached by the behavior of their wives. I pray that these men that are negligent or disobedient to the word in some way, Lord, would repent, would would see their see their wives living out the gospel in the midst of a condition that's, that is difficult and challenging and that they would see your power, the power of the gospel displayed in that behavior, Lord, and, and come to you, be won over, as Peter says here. Lord, this is certainly Peter's strategy for wives. And so, Lord, just pray that they would take it to heart. And, Lord, as for us husbands, that we would take to heart how important our role is We want to make it easy for our wives to follow. And so, Lord, help us to be husbands that follow after you well. And um, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. <clears throat> now, before, before I get into the verses, i just got to read this. This isn't my notes or anything. But I wanted to just quickly read a verse out of Proverbs 31. And ask you if you don't hear very similar language here as you do in 1 Peter. It's in Proverbs 31. You know the, you know the, 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 the passage well, an excellent wife who can find. This is a, a passage from a, a mother to a son about a wife that he is to look for, at least at some level. Of course, of course there's some idealism here um, in, in, in some poetry, but it nonetheless indicates what a woman should be shooting for as a woman who fears the Lord. And um, see if I can find this. Yeah, strength. Let's see if I can find this verse. Yeah, verse 25. I was struck by this. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Maybe you could say her adorning. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Peter actually has a view that a woman is, is weaker in some sense, and he'll talk to us about that here in, in the next time we look at husbands, where he says that wives are weaker. But while they may be weaker, they are not completely weak. They can actually be strong. And what's he talking about? Well, he's not necessarily talking in terms of what they can curl. He's talking about this in terms of their faith. He's talking about them in terms of their spiritual vigor that they can have in their faith in God that allows them to know that whatever comes in the future, they can smile at it knowing that God is, at the, is, is the captain of the ship of their life. And Peter has this encouragement to give to wives. If you were to boil down 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 in some ways, it boils down to that. Peter is wanting to give women encouragement in a condition where the man is not, in my view, I think that he's not a Christian, which we'll talk about. But it also applies to men that are just disobedient to the word in whatever ways they're disobedient, even as believers. But he's wanting to give them encouragement to not buckle up underneath the anxiety they have living in such a condition of a man that you're unequally yoked with. And he's wanting to give them that strength. What does the world say? The world says, get out of that relationship, right? The world says, kick that man to the curb. But I would think Peter in the book of Proverbs would say, in many instances, that would be a display of weakness and not strength. Now, I'm going to qualify that. There can be very hard situations for women. So I'm not talking about physical brutality. I think that's in a different category where a woman needs to take different measures. If it's, if it's legitimately real. But I also want to say that the world is going to be appealing to the flesh. The world is going to be presenting um, a justification for you to cave in in fearfulness. And the book of Proverbs and Peter says, no, you can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And forbear even a difficult husband. Maybe even a harsh husband. A man who is disobedient to the word. So ladies, I want you to find encouragement through these words. I don't want you to feel beat up. We are going to talk about some things this morning that are peculiar to a woman's vice. But I want you to be encouraged to know this is God's path for you in the home. And to be encouraged in that. Um, Proverbs 31 and these other passages on women's roles are mocked even in the Christian community, the quote-unquote Christian community, um, and sort of laughed at quite a bit as, a, as sort of a joke. Um, but they're not a joke to the Lord. Um, they are food for you. Um, so let's look at it again together. So I've already read the text. Last time, to, we just spent some time looking at the idea of submission. It may on first glance, as you read this passage, you might think that Peter is just telling these wives to be submissive only because their husband is disobedient and 
hey, he needs to be one without a word. He needs to become converted. And so be, submit, be submissive with this sort of ultimate strategy to bring him to faith. And, and, and that's sort of it. It's not a normative um, prescription for a wife to be submission, but in this particular instance, which some commentators actually say, if you can believe that, but they do. So I spent some time saying, well, Peter says be submissive, but so also does the rest of the scriptures. The rest of the scriptures certainly point this out as the paradigm for a woman in a marriage, starting with Genesis 2, 1 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5, uh, 1 Peter 3, there's many other places. So we took some time to look at that. So I want us, first of all, this morning to look at the scope. The scope of a woman's submission is particular. It's to her own husband, verse 1. Wives, be submissive to your own husband. So this reiterates the fact that Peter isn't assuming here or instructing the wives here to to sort of take a, a, a a subversive role to every man, a subservient role to every man, but just to their own husbands, to their own husbands. And so Peter is sort of telling you to look at the man next to you, if he's your husband, and know this is the one. This is who I'm talking about. This man next to you, you personally are to submit to. And one of the things that's interesting is, especially in reform circles, and conservative evangelical circles, it's actually fairly, it's actually fairly um, uh, trendy, appropriate for a woman to know that her role is to submit. It's, it's actually something that um, some women make their ministries based on. But the real question is, do you implement it? You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when everybody says, we, we want a church where there's body life and community. We really want that. And everybody talks about community, community, community. Then they get into a church where there's actually happening, and then when the rubber meets the road, they're like, oh, that person offended me, and so I'm going to leave. Well, wait a minute. I thought you wanted community. You, you, didn't, you didn't know that community assumed you're going to rub each other a little wrong? You didn't assume that community was going to mean that you'd have to forbear with one another? Wait, wait, wait a minute. You, you said you wanted community. And it's similar to this issue of submission. Oh, you know, a woman, of course, yeah, feminism. Oh, yeah, that's awful. Submission is, is really who we're supposed to, you know, that's our role as a woman. But it really boils down to where the rubber meets the road day to day. This is something you strive to, Im- to implement in your own life with your own husband. It's easy to talk about it out here. It's much harder to do it with your, with your man, with your own husband. But Peter wants you to understand the man sitting next to you, the man with you, that is who he's talking about. And so the question would be, okay, well, that's good. Thankfully, the Lord has given many women in this congregation, I would say the vast majority, have given them believing husbands. That's a blessing. But what about men that aren't followers of Jesus? What about those men? What do you do with that? What do you do with the the wife that, that... that shows up by herself all the time to church gatherings. What do you do about that? What are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to think? And I know I, know, uh, I have experience talking to people, talking to wives that live with unbelieving spouses. And it's not fun. It's not fun. Um, oftentimes they're just wanting to give up. Oftentimes they're just saying, it's just too hard. I'll just take the divorce ding and just let the Lord work it out in the day of judgment. I mean, they can, get there, they can find themselves in those places quite, fr- quite frequently. So what do you tell them? What do you tell them? Or what about just the Christian man? The Christian man that, that isn't following the Lord in a particular area, and the wife knows it. Is the Christian wife still to submit to such a man? Well, I think Peter has a word for those situations. I think Peter would say yes. And he does say yes. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, 
they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. There's an implicit assumption in this passage that many, if not most, of the husbands of these wives are probably believers. I mean, when he says, even if, I think that probably implies that this may be the minority experience in these Christian ladies. But this text points out the dilemma that some of these women are facing. Submitting to someone who doesn't share her same love, her same perspective, her same um, outlook, her same convictions. I do think that Peter has unbelieving husbands primarily in view here when he says those who are disobedient to the word. And I say that for a couple of reasons. The first is, in the letter of 1 Peter, obedience to Christ is the assumed character of every believer in Peter's letter. You look at chapter 1, verse 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. So all of these blood-bought believers, all of these that are foreknown, all of these that are exiles, are also those who obey Jesus Christ because of the Spirit's indwelling. And then in 1.13, Peter just flat out calls them obedient children. Verse 14, actually. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the formulas which are yours and your ignorance. And there's other places. Second reason is Peter uses the language of being won or gained. He says you might, the, your unbelieving husbands might be won without a word. The idea here is that the husband is not acquired. He's not gained. He's lost and needs to be taken back for Christ. He needs to be won over. It's, an, it's a term of acquisition, actually. It's a term of possession. It's like she doesn't have him. Not in the sense that she doesn't have him so that she can do what she wants with him, but she doesn't have him. There's this, there's this sense that he's not gained and, and Christ doesn't have him either. And that's sort of more fundamental, that Christ does not have him and he needs to be gained. That's the idea. And this instruction of submission even to unbelieving husbands is critical for a number of reasons. But one main one is that there's so many female voices out there pushing that a Christian woman has no obligation to submit to her husband. Especially if he's an unbeliever. Or even if he's not leading in a way that she perceives as honoring to Christ. Um, There was a, a lady that I looked up on YouTube I can't remember the name of her channel. But she was all about uh, submission. She was all about it, with her own definition. She said that submission means submitting yourself to the mission of the man. So bring yourself under his mission. And I'm thinking, "Eh, maybe, okay, I'm, I'm tracking a little bit. And what is the mission of the man in Ephesians 5? Well, it's, it's loving her as Christ loves the church. I'm like, I mean, that's part of his mission. Part of his mission. And she says that she can really get behind this kind of mission. She can really bring herself under this. And as she went on during the video, it was crystal clear that as long as she perceives this man living with her, laying down his life for her in an ongoing basis, she has every reason to support this this mission. So by the time you're done with the video, you are thinking that this woman is only going to be favorable toward her husband as long as he meets her felt needs. I mean, it's clear by the end of it all. As long as he's serving the needs the way you want, now again, I want to be careful here. I am in no way at all justifying ungodly behavior in the husband. We're going to deal with that. But I also want to make sure that it's real clear in all you ladies' minds that, well, fundamentally, husbands, I mean, we're, we're imperfect people. I mean, that, I mean, pastors are imperfect people you're going to be very well acquainted with the faults of your husband. And you are going to be very tempted to say, I don't have to, because he just said that to me. 
or he just did that. You're going to think that you don't have to. You're going to start to get more froer, more stiff arm when things happen. And hey, I understand the temptation, but you have to understand that's not the way. (laughs) You can't go there. And of course, there are certain things that husbands must not do when they're tempted to do them. But we're talking to wives today. As you listen to this video, by the time you're done with it, what it's going to do is it's going to elevate the mission of the man to such a level, I would say an unattainable level, at least on an ongoing basis, that he is set up to fail. And the woman is justified in her response in not bringing herself under his leadership. This is not biblical teaching. This is not the teaching that, that, that the Lord is after. It creates, it can create anyway, a defiant, condescending, vindictive, resentful attitude in the wife that is completely contrary to the will of God. And is completely counterproductive to her unbelieving husband being won over. In other words, Peter is here saying wives can be powerful witnesses for Christ to their disobedient husbands because of their submissive behavior. But if she doesn't go this route, it will serve to dishonor the word and could put a stumbling block before these men. It really could. Listen to what Titus, Paul says to Titus. Older women likewise be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching that which is good, that they may sober up the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Submission issue is a big deal. It's a big deal in terms of, do you want to honor the word of God or not? It's a big deal. Many things in the list Paul gave to Titus can contribute to a shaming of God's word or, not, or, or implementing them can honor God's word, but being subject to the husband is tightly connected to this idea. If she is constantly laying down demands and ultimatums and resentful because the husband not, is not meeting all of her felt needs and she decides to just do her own thing, she dishonors the word of God. And it could serve to harden the husband, which is not really what she wants. So ladies, don't listen to the world when they tell you that you only have to bring yourself under your husband as long as he is Christ-like in every way all the time. That's just not, it's not realistic. And it's, and it's not ultimately a life of faith, Frankly. These women that are spouting this nonsense are stealing the bread the Lord has for you in this hard circumstance. That is what I am so jealous for. It's the other thing with the social justice warriors wanting to go and and wreak vengeance in every situation and rectify injustice in every situation. It, It brings about this resentful attitude, this vindictive attitude And they steal from you the Lord's bread, which teaches you to bear up and endure and cast your gaze on him through the hardship and watch him him hold you up. They steal from you the Lord's purposes and trials. They steal from you that understanding. They steal from you that that strength that can come through these things. Again, I'm not trying to, to minimize the trials. I'm not trying to minimize that, but... Watch that. Living with an unbelieving man or a woman that has, has got to be one of the hardest things imaginable, and I really mean that. I, I cannot fathom that. Not sharing the same eternal perspective, not, not them not wanting to open their home to, to the same. I mean, I just can't, I cannot fathom that. But it's real. Um, And there's instruction in the word for it. 
And like I said, I think that it also has to apply to Christian men in areas of their disobedience as well. I mean, wives, I mean, you're acquainted with the sins of your husband more uniquely and closer than any of us are. You see who they are behind closed doors. Perhaps you, you see his anger. Maybe it's negligence. Maybe it's in the fact that you want them to lead the family more in family time and spiritual nourishment and he's dropping the ball over and over and over. I mean, that's, you know, that, that is something that must not be, brethren. I'm talking to men. That is something that just must not be. Don't be a passive negligent father. You're going to make it harder for your wife to submit to you. Be a father that's active and pursuing leading their family, however that works out for you. Make the word of God a regular in your home. Your own presence with your family. Make it a regular as much as you can. I mean, obviously there's caricatures. You can go too far in one way and, you know, confine yourself to the boonies in your own little kingdom and never associate with the people of God or do ministry in the kingdom of God. I don't mean that, but what I mean is, husbands, be there with your family. Be there with your children. Don't be negligent. But if they are, wives, Peter has a word to you about how you respond in that situation, in that condition. So, does, does a Christian wife have to submit to her unbelieving husband? Yes. Or a man that has got these peculiar failings to the word of God? Yes. But he gives a reason. He gives a reason here. He does so with a strategy in mind. A wife submitting to her husband, who is disobedient to the word, will work to give him an observable proof of the power of the gospel that could lead to his victory over sin. Peter goes on to say, so that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Again, as I've always said, already said, this idea of one just has to do with being gained, being lost and now being found. This is the idea. But Peter is emphatic here on the way this has to come about. And the way this has to come about, ladies, is without words. Literally, it's, there's, a play on, there's a play on words here. The husband is disobedient to the word. And you can win him over without the word. In other words, these men that are disobeying the gospel or the word of God, the ladies might intuitively think, well, maybe, and maybe not even think, but just respond, of course I need to continue to bring up these areas that my husband is lacking in. Of course, the, the, of course I need to continue to bring the gospel to my unbelieving husband over and over. I mean, that would seem noble. Just, you know, uh, he needs continued reminders of where he's at and continued reminders of where he needs to be. And what he needs to be doing. Peter says this is not the way. The Lord's method for wives to win over their disobedient husbands to the word is without verbal correction. This is God's strategy for wives. And and I'm thinking that it cuts across the intuition of a woman. A wife intuitively thinks that if she reminds enough, a wife or a husband can be one. But this will not do what you think it will do. I mean, the bottom line is you can't change someone anyway. Fundamentally, I mean, you can't. I I can't. Only the Lord can. That's actually, in, in many ways, freeing. But I think that Peter is getting at a fundamental difference in the way men and women operate, too. Right? Ladies tend to operate through, call it the ear gate. Right? Not that they're not visual at all, but, but in terms of their relationships in life, 
They tend to operate through their ears. Men, far more visual, right? Far more visual. And I'm not trying to get too psychological here, but I think nature itself teaches us that women use far more words than husbands, right? Men are not inclined to be overly verbose. Um, This can be a negative when men are not connecting with their wives in conversation at home. I mean, that can be a negative. Um, But you you wives need to understand something fundamental about your husband, that we are not motivated by constant reminders. We just aren't. We won't be. Different reasons for that, but just bottom line, we're not. And, And especially when that reminding is met with condescension. And a woman's peculiar vice or besetting sin, I think, comes through her tongue. Perhaps a husband, might, maybe a husband's is anger or maybe lust, those kinds of things. But I think a peculiar vice for a woman is through her tongue. I think that's why we have so much in the New Testament about that. The first thing Paul tells the older women is not to be malicious gossips. Paul tells Timothy to make sure women aren't going house to house being busybodies. Right, talking about other people while their own home languishes and is in complete disarray. They're caught up in everybody else's business. Drama seekers, that kind of thing. Peter says, win them without words, without the word. How well does it go, ladies, when you speak to your husband like you're the authority? He'll either do one or two things. He'll lash back or he'll completely clam up. You want to clam? I don't think you really want to clam, but, but that's, that's what that'll do. Proverbs tells us this, doesn't it? I was struck when I was reminded of how much this issue of a contentious woman is brought up in the book of Proverbs. I was like, wow. So just let's listen to a few. A foolish son is a destruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. A constant dripping. Just ongoing, ongoing, grinding annoyance. Proverbs 21.9, It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. It is better to go live in the corner of a roof, exposed to all the elements, away as far as you can get, than in a house shared with a contentious woman. I'd rather be outside exposed to that than in a nice, warm, cozy environment. How about this one? It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious, vexing woman. I mean, it's better to go live with jackals. This is, I mean, I don't know what you think about this, ladies, but I hope that this is something that you think about in terms of the things you need to pray for. I mean, I'm very acutely aware of the vices that I contend to. I hope you're aware of the vices that you contend to. And this is clearly one of them. If you want a husband that's happy to come home, don't be contentious. What are we talking about when we mean contentious? We, we know we're not talking about wives sort of just reminding their husbands of general things, appointments of the day, hey, remember to go pick this up on the way home, stuff like that. That's not what we're talking about here. My wife reminding me of an appointment actually is a blessing because sometimes I forget. But what we're talking about here is, 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 is a woman that's constantly challenging or quarrelsome or prone to strife or these kinds of things, and, and constantly bringing things up to her husband about the way he needs to be and this and that. It means a wife that just, she just can't help but push back all the time. She can't just do what she's told, in a sense. Just always push back. Now again, I'm not saying that a woman doesn't have to, she she does not have a place to bring up things when they are concerning, if the husband's in sin, or she can give her input on certain decisions. Absolutely. She's an advisor, she's a friend. But what I am saying is that wives, you know yourselves and you know that you can push back. You know that you can push the limits. You know that you can challenge a man to the point to where he just doesn't even want to be around. I see this. I see this with my clients. Now, I'm dealing mainly in the world, but I see this with husbands. 
the wives, this is their project. They're going to come and they're going to they're do all of these different things. And the husband will not say anything. Because if he, did, if he does, he will get shouted down and shamed. I see it. And what recourse does a man have, really? What's he going to do? So just understand this can be a vice. You talk down to your husband like, like you're his mother, it will not go well. It doesn't go well. Don't be that way. When you battle to lead your home, don't, don't go that way. This will not produce the outcome you want. It won't. You might think it will, but it won't. Men certainly have their own battles. And I, can, I, and I can sympathize with the reality that if you have a man who genuinely is negligent and passive and not, not around and you want to just take the reins, I get that. I mean, I really do. Sometimes I want to smack those men, right? And realize, look at the treasure you have as a wife. What are you doing? What are you doing wasting all your time on frivolous things? But the reality is, going verbal correction all the time, it's not going to produce what you want. It's going to push him further away. That's the book of Proverbs teach you. Proverbs 25, 24, it's better to live in a corner of a roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. They say it again. Here's another one. A constant dripping on a day of a steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He, would restrain, he who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. Basically saying that it's, it's impossible to get a contentious woman to stop. It's like trying to hold on to oil in your hand or restrain the wind. It's impossible. When wives are contentious and nagging, they leave husbands in this place where they really genuinely feel helpless. This is why you see men just led along by their wives, sheepishly following, because if he tries to take the lead, his head will get bitten clean off. I've seen it. And the husband throws his hand up and he spends all his time in the shop. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. I think a lot of, discon- I think a lot of contention comes from being discontent. I think, she, I think she, she doesn't feel fulfilled in her life for various reasons and so she tries to achieve this fulfillment in a fleshy way by demanding and manipulating her husband. That's where it comes from, ladies, isn't it? It's the discontentment. And do not get me wrong, it is hard to be home, it is hard to be at work, it is hard to do the grind daily as a woman in this world. Especially if you want to do it well. I mean, it is a fight. And you can want to go do this and want to go do that and want to get out and escape and all of these different things, but the reality is you have to entrust your soul to the Lord in these times, casting your anxieties continually on Him. And prove Him when He says He will give strength to His people. Prove him in that. He will. Prove him in that. Prove him in that. When he, when, you, when he tells you, listen, listen, I know your husband's being a jerk. I know that. And trust your soul to me. Love, love him. Trust me. And watch the Lord give you strength. Watch the Lord give you this ability to endure. He will do that. He absolutely will do that. One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Long-suffering. This ability to suffer long, this ability to to bear up under a load supernaturally. I'm not saying this is inherent in you. Ladies, if you're just like, oh my gosh, I mean, I'm failing in every... Well, I mean, I'm not telling you to do this naturally. I am telling you to call on the Lord. That's what I'm telling you to do. Do this. Prove Him in this. Oh, he loves to answer these things. Patience, get a lot, patience gets a lot of bad press. Well, I don't want to pray for patience, you know, and then all these bad things will happen. I don't, don't do that. Don't do that. If you ask the Lord for bread, is he going to give you a snake? No. Get that argument out of your head. God is good. You pray for things that he loves, they will be a blessing to your soul, not a curse. 
That's Satan's lie. Don't buy that. Don't buy that. So, ladies, if you have a bad habit of disrespecting your husband, talking down at him continually, beautiful thing is, is that you can repent. And then you'll find compassion with the Lord on these things. Compassion from the Lord. Not, not a stiff arm, not a, not a cold shoulder, but compassion. He'll say, it's okay. I, I, I get it. I get it. Now, go and sin no more. Right? Go walk by faith. And that's a daily thing, right? New mercies are every morning, but so are new sins. Right? New sins every morning, but new mercy every morning. And the reality is that yesterday's grace is not enough for today. So you have to recognize that, ladies. As I do too. Now again, I just want to caveat here. This does not mean a woman's not vocal in the home. It does not preclude sort of just, obviously just the friendship, the friendly banter of husbands and wives. Again, the wife in the Song of Songs is said to be his friend. And friendship is one of the pillars of a strong marriage. But in the realm of correction, words should be minimal. Give input in a respectful way, but if the husband chooses a different path, just keep your peace. And it will keep peace. But I do want to say this, that that Peter is not against fixing your husband, though. Is he? He's not against that. He's just against the method that so many have. Peter's all about your husband changing. God is all about this. But it's correcting and winning him over through behavior that's observed. Peter says this, as they observe, as they see your chaste and respectful behavior. I think, again, it's important for wives to realize that husbands do see. (laughs) We may not, um, it may not always seem like that, but we genuinely do. In some ways, I would say we're more visual. I think women are more auditory. I think maybe this is one of the reasons Satan went after the lady at first with words about the word of God. It caught her with smooth and fair speech. But men are more prone to be affected by what they perceive. And do not think, ladies, that a, that a woman, a wife, that continues in meekness and in service to her husband goes unnoticed by her man. I have known men who are not walking with the Lord, who have wives that are, who continually feel humbled and shamed by the behavior of their wives. And I know their wives. And their wives are godly ladies. And it was a powerful thing that here's a man who's genuinely not even walking with the Lord and yet he sees his wife living this out and, it, and at some level it convicts him, it pushes him. Now, I don't know, that, that, that man still needs to repent as far as I know. But he could not dispute that. He could not dispute that. They see. They observe. Chase behavior is what they observe. Peter says here, chaste behavior. Chastity, that trait of total purity with regard to any other man. If a woman is a flirt or is constantly talking about how handsome the other, this other guy is or constantly talking about how cute that guy is on this show or whatever, or those kinds of things, just, just drop all that. Just drop all that. Be chaste in the way your man perceives you with regard to him. This cuts across a man's sense of her loyalty to him and can breed jealousy and not trust. Remaining chaste is vital. If you dress up, do it for your husband and not for anyone else. Be chaste in social media. 
If you're friends with ex-flames on Facebook, cancel that. It's probably a bad idea. Right? It's probably a bad idea. You correspond regularly with men that are not a part of your family, bad idea probably. I just mean you and them. Again, this will not breed trust, but suspicion from the husband. And in the book of Proverbs, the heart of the husband, what? Trust in her. He knows he doesn't have to watch her. That's what you're after with your husband. You want your husband to have that sense of trust. There's nothing that will give an unbelieving man more reason to cheat than having a wife who's unchaste and flirtatious with other men. Don't, don't be that. Doesn't give any excuse to it. I'm just saying, if you know women that have unbelieving husbands, Christian ladies that have unbelieving husbands, that recourse for them is not to feel like making him jealous is going to make him come back to me. <laughs> that won't work. That won't work. But it's chaste behavior and it's with fear. The NAS says chaste behavior and respectful behavior. But it's literally chaste, chaste behavior with fear. In other words, chastity, purity of the wife is not to be sunned because she just, she just has to. There's probably going to be some days and times where it feels like that. But it's fundamentally because she fears the Lord and in turn fears, reveres her husband in the sense that he's the God-given authority over her. Over her. The fear of God. Women who claim to fear God will remain pure to their husbands. You fear God. This fear of God will express itself in fear and right respect of their husband. In other words, ladies, if you understand that God is watching you and you have a vision of how big and wonderful and awesome and holy God is, and you have that vision on your heart, and you realize that he has spoken on these matters, and you, you know that he has given you this man, you're in this marriage providentially and sovereignly, then you're going to recognize to transgress this authority structure is to sin against him. And you fear the Lord, and that motivates you on to purity and in your role. And Peter further expounds this excellent behavior the wife should have. He says, of course, he says you should be chaste, but he, he teases it out a little bit more, and he, and he begins with this word adornment. Your adornment, verse 3. Your adornment. The term here is cosmos. It means something like harmonious arrangement, orderliness, the arrangement of the stars in the heavens, the term is used. Cosmos. The idea we're probably most acquainted with is that of makeup or cosmetics. Right? The ordering a, a woman brings to her face. Not that they're ever disordered. But that's the idea. It's the way a woman expends her efforts and energies to arrange herself as she presents herself to the world. In particular here, to her husband. And there's an emphasis Peter is after here of what should not be priority as a woman takes time to arrange herself and what should take priority as a woman takes time to arrange herself. So first, what is not the priority? Well, the priority is not the external. He says your adornment should not be external. Braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. Literally, the text reads, not outward adorning. Now, obviously, you know, we're not, we're not going to take that literally. He's talking about in terms of emphasis. It means, let not your focus of putting yourself together be fundamentally external. Don't be so concerned with this, you know. And Peter brings out the big three, the hair, the jewelry, and the dress. He's not saying women look unkempt or sloppy, you know. Wear the same thing that you have for, you know, three weeks straight. That's not... That's not what he's getting at, okay? It's not wrong for a, to, for a woman to want to look pretty, look nice for her husband. That's that not what Peter is getting at, but he's talking about in terms of focus. What concerns you fundamentally should not firstly be how fashionable you are, how trendy you are. 
That, that is not your fundamental concern. It is the fundamental concern of American women, worldly women, but it must not be the fundamental concern of Christian women. Again, Peter's not, I don't think Peter's totally against fashion, those kinds of things, but in terms of what are you concerned with? What, what is your mind preoccupied with? Is it your image, your physical image? which I know that that's challenging living in America, social media and everything else. You know, what a, what a woman in a risque dress has to do with the Chevy truck, I have no idea, right? Because that's what you're up against, a media that's pumping this stuff all the time. But fundamentally, Christian women, your great concern should be not the externals. So what is the priority? The priority is, as Peter says here, the hidden person of the heart. The priority in your particular role, ladies, as a wife, is in, in some ways the same priority it is for all believers, men alike, and that's the heart. That should be your concern. That should be your focus. That should be your... That, that should be what you're praying for, thinking about, It comes down to the heart. Peter has in mind the internal man, the inner man where the thoughts and the feelings reside, that place that dictates the final behavior of a wife, the attitude of the wife, the action of the wife. So Peter says, focus on getting your heart right every day. Focus on getting your heart right every day. We have a little thing at our house when one of the kids are... um, acting up or out of sorts or whatever. And there's one in particular I have in mind. But I tell them, you know, go get your heart sorted out first. Go get it sorted out and then come back. And they do, actually, do that. And they come back and they're chipper. Most of the time. But it's really about getting your heart right. If you want your face to really shine... Your heart needs to be right. Oh, how hard it is. Oh, how hard it is for you and for those in your family when you neglect this. When you neglect getting your heart right. Ladies, get your heart right. That's where it is. That's where it starts. And you know, the beauty is, is this. It's something all Christian women can do. It's something you all can do. By God's grace, by His Spirit, it's something you all can do. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, the reality is that not all women are built the same, have the same fashion sense, the same budget that would allow for certain styles, whatever. But all women who are born again have a heart that they can present before the Lord to please Him in the role as a godly wife. That's tremendous. You are not left without hope or resource. You have the spirit of the living God in you. That's amazing. By God's spirit, a woman's heart can be molded and strengthened every day to live out this role to her man. Even with men who don't know the Lord. God's power is so great that a woman can experience a man who's being utterly unreasonable and feel that desire well up within them to retaliate and she remembers, wait, I have the spirit. I'm born again. I'm a child. I'm a daughter of the living God. Lord, give me self-control and the, and the ear of the Lord is ready to hear it. He is a ready help in time of trouble. A ready help. He says that over and over in the Psalms, doesn't he? He says, call on me in the day of trouble. I've probably said this before, but that, that verse, I think it's Psalm 51, it's just so powerful to me. Call on me in the day of trouble. It's not David saying, hey, saints, call on the Lord, which is wonderful enough. It's God himself saying, call on me. Call on me 
Do you know what it is to call on the Lord and have him help you in a day of trouble and turn around and be able to tell one of your sisters, listen, I get it, but I called on the Lord and he helped me. He helped me. Oh, the Lord wants to be called on. He wants your, he wants your heart. That's what he wants. And what particular, what particular traits in the heart is Peter after? Well, he says it's an imperishable quality of a meek and quiet spirit. These are things that begin within. He spells out these two traits. First one is meekness. This means a woman has sort of died to her rights. She's died to her rights. I mean, all Christians have to sort of die to their rights, don't they? But in the terms of the home, women, you're resolved that you die to your rights. You have a certain right to this and that. At, at one level, because you're made in God's image, and it would be wonderful if you were always treated as such by your husband, but the reality is you won't be, always. And if you're with an unbelieving man, that's even worse. But meekness is that character trait that is able to restrain itself, that person is able to restrain themselves in the midst of hardship. This is the Lord Jesus, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is how he is. This is Christ-like. Christ not, Christ-like is not giving it back to the man. That's not Christ-like. Christ's life is bearing up under those sorrows. Isn't that what Peter said earlier? This finds favor with God if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. This finds favor with God. Orient your mind that way and that will be so powerful for a man that is wanting to be unreasonable or dominate or whatever. And again, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying here's what Peter's laying out. What about a quiet spirit? Quietness has to do with the inward spirit that is serene. He's not talking about women being quiet, period. No, no words, that's not what he's after. He's talking about a woman's spirit that is serene when tempted to be stirred up. The idea here is no drama. Paul says men are to work with their hands in 1 Thessalonians and lead a quiet life. He's not saying that if you go to his house, you can't hear anything. He's saying that it's quiet, it's, it's calm, it, there's no drama. That's the idea. It has everything to do with living a stable life without need and drama and, and what Paul's telling the men there. And a wife's spirit is to be quiet as well. It's, it's to be controlled such that drama in the home is minimized. Wives, how much drama do you create in your life? Are you always in a frantic mess? When people talk to you, do they constantly walk away thinking everything is always so dramatic? Paul is saying, work on your spirit. Quiet spirit. A serene spirit is what you're shooting for. Now this doesn't mean you can have a bubbly part. You can have a bubbly personality all day long. Peter is talking about your spirit. Ask the Lord to give you a quiet spirit. This does not firstly mean, again, that you can't talk and have, I mean, laughter, all those things. It has nothing to do with that. It's that you're so trusting the Lord, even especially when you're rocked by disappointment or disagreement or even mistreatment by the husband. Her spirit doesn't get into a tempest and she storms and retaliates. I mean, I just want to encourage you ladies when you get together in your accountability groups and fellowship and sing and share and those kinds of places, take these terms and pray them. Maybe you already do it. But I just want to encourage you to do that. Isn't it so helpful to know that God has given you these wonderful terms for you to focus on and pray for. And you know what? The reality is, like it is with so many Christian characteristics, you probably aren't going to fully know you have it when you have it. 
The Lord is wise in that, right? Because he's not going to let you have a big head. You know, that's why you always hear the jokes about, you know, I'm humble, so humble that I wrote a book on it. You know, you hear, you hear jokes like that. Um, so you might not even have a full sense that, that yeah, I'm, I'm this. I have a quiet spirit. I mean, you're going to feel like you fail, and I get that. But take these things and pray. And you might, you might reflect and be able to give glory to God and say, hey, this instance happened again just like it did last week, and yet the Lord gave me strength to overcome this particular episode. That's what you're looking for. And then you can turn and give glory to the Lord. But this is a wonderful word here. Meek, quiet spirit. And Peter says that's imperishable. It's imperishable, incorruptible. What do you mean? In contrast to the outward appearance that will fade away these character traits of meekness and quietness, these character traits will last your whole life. These are things that can grow in you your whole life. So that one day you can be an older woman coming alongside younger women and you can tell them to love their husbands, love their children, be kind, workers when at home, subject to their husbands and everything so the word of God will not be dishonored. You can talk about the way you failed at that but the way the Lord has answered you in that and you can be that older woman. Imperishable. It's these character traits that last your whole life, tied to the Spirit of the Lord and and can be developed and fine-tuned for the rest of your life. And you will hear about it in the day of Christ. You will hear about it on the day of judgment. You will. And I mean that in the way of encouragement. As you strive to live this way, it's an imperishable quality that, that he will commend in that day if it was there and it will be something you are rewarded for. It's, it's, it's amazing. He will applaud this before the throne. These things are precious in his sight, Peter says. This is beautiful and valuable in God's sight. These characteristics, these are beautiful things. Precious in his sight, Peter says. Ladies must first, wives must first live for the sight of the Lord and not your husband. That's what Peter is after. And know that if your husband does not acknowledge your good works or praise you because of your faithfulness to him and the family, your father sees you, is pleased with you, and your work of faith in the home. It's precious in the sight of God. Well, probably going to have to stop there at the end of verse 4. And we'll give one more, one, more, uh, one more brief word in 5 and 6 as Peter reflects on the woman, on the holy women of old. But ladies, I know there were some hard things read today. I do know that. I don't read them to, to beat you up. I really don't. I, I do want to read these things because the Lord loves you enough to tell you the truth about where you might find yourself weak or stumbling occasionally or maybe often. And yet again, you're never without hope. The Lord can give you strength in these things. And the Lord wants these things for you, again, more than you want them for yourself. Pray these things. When you get together with ladies, maybe, I don't know, I don't know what it's like in a ladies group, but I guess I just feel like this is sort of a no-brainer to be taking these terms and praying them and saying, Lord, and just being honest with them, like, Lord, I don't even fully, I don't necessarily love this idea, but I know that it's from you, and I know that you're good and wise, and I know that really to, to deviate from the right to the left is actually just, that's just darkness and death and turmoil causes problems. So just ask him to make you see the wisdom of God in it. Let me also just appeal to you husbands just briefly just to say if you've got a woman who fears the Lord and you know who you are (laughs) don't take advantage of her.
She's a treasure from the Lord. Do not exploit this teaching of submission. The Lord takes this very seriously. We're going to look at that. Prayers can be hindered. You want God to block you in your spiritual life? Mistreat your wife. Exploit her. So this is not at all this is not at all some sort of fodder for a man to say, oh yeah, you know, you got it today, girl, you know, or something like that. Yeah, wife, I hope you were listening today. That is not what this is. It's an encouragement to wife to know your weaknesses and to know the strength the Lord can provide when you're hoping in Him. And again, just take it from your father that knows what's best. This is what he says. So let's submit ourselves to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for, again, loving us so much that you tell us the truth. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for the ladies in this room. I just, as I just quickly glance in my mind and think through in my mind the ladies that are here, Lord, I just in some ways feel like Gosh, Lord, I just feel like they they know these things already so well and and are implementing them so well in so many cases. So, Lord, I just pray that you would take these words and wherever they apply, you'd make them genuinely stick. For those ladies that are creating drama and are, are always anxious and not trusting in you, Lord, work in them. Help them to see you are trustworthy. Help them to see you are sovereign, even over their challenges in life. And that they would, when they're, when they're tempted to anxiety and fear, Lord, they would trust in you. Lord, please do this. Make these women clothe themselves with strength and dignity and those who smile at the future. Again, Lord, knowing that you are the captain of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.